Luke chapter 24, 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you whilst he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So do you enjoy logic puzzles? The ones where um, someone describes a scene and you have to try and work out what happened. Uh, You have to ask ask them questions so the answer can be yes or no. Let me give you an example. A man lies dead in the middle of a field with an unopened package next to him. What happened? And you start to ask questions. Uh, Was he murdered? No. Was it an accident? Yes. Was anyone else involved? No. Is that package next to him somehow linked to his death? Yes. And you keep asking, and some of you will know it or have got it already. In my case, I'm one of the last people to ever get it. Was he a parachutist whose parachute failed to open? A man lies dead in the middle of a field with an open package beside him. At first it's a puzzle, but once you've seen it, all the details make sense. The explanation fits the facts with great simplicity. Now, nearly 2,000 years ago, on the morning of the first Easter Sunday, Jesus' followers faced a similar puzzle. It went like this. The man they'd followed for three years had been crucified because he claimed to be the Son of God. He'd been buried in a tomb. They'd witnessed it. The women had witnessed it. But three days later, when they went back to the tomb, his body was gone. What had happened? And when Luke, the author that we're reading this morning, he explains at the beginning of his book that he interviewed people to find out all the details of Jesus' life. And when he interviewed the first disciples... The answer they gave to explain those facts was very irregular. But it fitted all the facts with great simplicity. 
Their answer was simply, Jesus was raised from the dead. And so Luke, as he tells us about that morning, that first Easter morning, he lays out some of the evidence. He tells us some of what they discovered in the order they discovered it and their reactions. And he tells us so that we can know it really happened and why it's such good news. So two things this morning. Jesus rose from the dead, flesh and bones and all. We can be certain of that. And then the wonderful news because of it, that Jesus saves by his death and resurrection all who trusted him. The first of those, it comes off the back of of chapter 23 where Luke tells us about the day that Jesus was uh, humiliated, executed, and the disciples, their faith in him was shattered. Uh, he was uh, buried not by one of them, but, uh, chapter 23, verse 50, the facing page on the, le- on the uh, right-hand column there, the burial of Jesus. It was left to this man, Joseph, a member of the uh, ruling council, a good and upright man. He had the influence to say, do you know what? I know we've killed him, I wasn't there, but uh, well, let me give him a decent burial. And he gets approval for that. The people who witnessed it, that's down at the bottom, verse 55, the women who were with Jesus, they followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. They were desperate to pay their last respects to Jesus, to anoint his body, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. And so... That's their mindset on the first Easter morning. They're thinking, we've rested now, we've got everything ready, we just want to go and pay our last respects to him. And then we read chapter 24 on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared, the very first Spice Girls. They went to the tomb to finish the embalming process. They were clearly expecting to find Jesus' dead body laid out there, weren't they? That's what they were expecting because they'd seen him killed. They'd seen him buried and they just wanted to go in this last expression of their their devotion to him. The last thing they were expecting was what they found. Verse 2, the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And notice what they say next. Not, wow, he's risen from the dead. No. No. Verse 4, they were wondering about this. They thought, what on earth is going on? They aren't the sort of people who imagine resurrections every Sunday morning. They didn't instantly believe. Similarly, uh, did you notice verse 11, when the men heard the story from the women? (laughs) Their words seemed like nonsense. That may have been their prejudice. But actually, it wasn't just their prejudice, was it? Of course their words seemed like nonsense. What do you mean Jesus' body isn't there? What do you mean you've met this man in shining white clothes who told you he'd risen from the dead? What what does he want about? You can understand their scepticism, can't you? It's just reasonable. These are not gullible people who believe in miracles at the drop of a hat. They were cautious people like us. Like us our society but being cautious is different from having a closed mind we know that difference do we between being cautious and a closed mind a closed mind says 
a resurrection cannot have happened because I've never experienced one and scientists can't do an experiment where they make one happen. So therefore, they cannot happen. Okay. That's a closed mind. A cautious mind is still critical. It still says why and what happened and but it's open. It says, listen, I know resurrections don't happen. We all know that. They knew that 2,000 years ago too. But, if there is enough evidence that Jesus actually rose because God was doing a unique miracle, then okay. I accept that. And I've got to rethink everything else in the light of it. Well, the first uh, piece of evidence is the empty tomb. It's uh, there in verse uh, 3. The body was gone, flesh and bones and all. Uh, go to Medina and you'll find uh, the tomb of Muhammad, I'm told, and the remains are inside. Go to Jerusalem. There are no remains of Jesus there. If there were, to be sure, someone would have set up a tourist site and told you this is where he is. They're not even sure which tomb he was buried in. There are several contenders and they do have tourist sites and they will happily show you around. There was an empty tomb. And that is evidence. Not enough evidence in itself to believe in a resurrection, but certainly enough to make you wonder. And there's a bit more evidence in verse 12. The linen. It's the only item of value which would have been in that tomb. And it's been left behind. So that rules out a robbery. If you've never looked into the evidence uh, for yourself, then I'd really recommend it. There'll be a book at the back um, called... The Case for Easter by a, a journalist who investigated the evidence as an atheist in order to, well, in order, because his wife had become a Christian. And uh, he thought, oh, this is nonsense. I'll do, it, do my research and prove to her it's all rubbish. Only as he did the research, he found, wow, the evidence is there. Jesus rose. And he's now a Christian who shares his faith and uh, who writes books to help others also realise uh, what's there. So there'll be a copy of Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Easter, at the back. There's good stuff online. If you prefer to just sort of research it for yourself, just go out there, find Tom Wright and, and, and some of the stuff he's done, which is just there on YouTube. Search him and you'll find that there's plenty of evidence for the resurrection. But at the end of the day, God doesn't just leave it for clever people to work it out or for us to work it out for ourselves. He wants people to know for sure. So verse 4, God sent these two men, who from the description, they're clearly angels, and other Gospels call them angels. But that's why they gleam like lightning. They've come from the presence of God. That's why they're so frightening and terrifying. But the message they bring is so wonderful. And it's utterly life-changing. Verse 6, he is not here. He is risen. It wasn't some kind of spiritual experience that people had in their hearts. The body was gone. And there's a very good reason, say the angels, he's risen. Jesus raised from the dead, flesh and bones and all. It means he's utterly unique among all the religious teachers and gurus that the world offers. It's public truth. It's for everyone. The other leaders, the other teachers, the people up on the screen, they're dead. But Jesus is living. The other teachers, the other philosophers, again, we gave it in that image, they'll give you their theory, they'll give you their rules, they'll give you their rituals to live by, but Jesus will save you forever. 
So that's the big news to take away this morning. Jesus saves by his death and resurrection everyone who trusts in him. The angels remind the women in uh, verses 6 to 7 that Jesus has actually already taught them. It's fascinating. Jesus taught them uh, over and over again. It's repeated three times in Luke's Gospel that he must do these things. He must die. He, He must be crucified. He must rise again. He must go through this. Jesus taught it over and over. They still didn't get it though. But, but the word must is really interesting, isn't it, in verse 6, that, um, that 6 and 7, uh, that actually he says as he rides into Jerusalem, uh, we remember that on Palm Sunday, uh, just, before, just before that he'd, he'd met this man called Zacchaeus, uh, who everyone thought was, was totally lost, totally outside of God's purposes because he'd, he'd joined in with the Romans as a tax collector, Uh, None of us like tax letters. Goodness me, they hated him because he joined in with the occupying army. He was lost to the plans of God. And Jesus welcomed him and explained that the Son of Man came to seek and to save. That was lost. He came to save. Right at the start of Luke's book, he tells us, right the Christmas readings we usually have, the angels announce he's come to save. He's a saviour. That's who he is. He's going to forgive people for their sins. And that's why he uses this word must in verse 7. He must die because our sins need to be paid for as well as forgiven. And that's why Jesus had to die, as we remembered on Good Friday. But he also said he had to rise again because he didn't just come to give us a sort of clean sheet, new start, try harder next time. He came to give us new life eternal life, to be God's people forever in a way that cannot be broken, not even by sin, not even by death. And so he must rise, he taught, never to die again. The story of Jesus is a bit like watching a a thriller. You've always got a hero and a villain, whether it's a Bond film or whether it's um, Bourne or one of those kind of those kind of edgy thrillers. You've got the the good guy, the bad guy, or the good girl, the bad guy. And usually at the end of the film, there's a scene, isn't there? They finally, face to face, confronting each other, locked in mortal combat. And the bad guy's got a gun. He's trying to put it to the head of the hero who's just about avoiding it and forcing the hand away. and, And then they go down and there's a tumble and the gun goes off. And the camera zooms in. And there's the hero collapsed with blood everywhere. And your heart sinks. Gosh. And then the hero gets up. And it's the bad guys. The bad guy who's finished, not the hero. Now that story is one that Hollywood loves to tell over and over again. Someone overcoming the odds. Overcoming... Uh, the threat of death, where this is a bigger version, the true version of that story, Jesus overcoming death itself. When he shouted on the cross, it's finished. You could be, you'd be forgiven for misunderstanding that and thinking he means, oh, I'm finished, this is the end of me. No, he means his victory is certain. He's defeated death and sin and the devil and hell forever. His work is finished. He's not finished. And three days later we see the victory as God raises him from the dead 
and makes a way back to God for everyone who will trust in Jesus. Isn't that the most wonderful news in the world? Six million euros will enable you to rebuild a burnt-down cathedral. And it's been amazing, hasn't it, the way people have responded to Notre Dame and the way people have pledged that sum of money in so short a time. But when someone dies, all the money in the world can't bring them back. But God did it when Jesus rose and he opened the door not just for Jesus but for all who put their trust in him. Is that not the most wonderful news in the world today and every day? He opened the door for everyone who puts their hand in his. Jesus saves by his death and resurrection, all who trust in him. It's so wonderful. And um, if you're thinking, well, how do I respond to that? What, what, what do I need to do to kind of do the right thing? Lots of us think that, don't we? What, you know, what, what's the right thing to do? It's amazing. We thought about it on Good Friday. The criminal who died next to Jesus, you can read his story on the facing page in 10, 1060. Um, where is it? It's uh, verse, uh, chapter 23 and verse 42. You've got this man dying next to Jesus when he's crucified. And uh, one, the, one guy, is, one of the criminals is having a go at Jesus and he speaks up and says, don't do that, he hasn't done anything wrong. And then he turns to Jesus in verse 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he does, he just turns to him and in some way says... I want to be linked with you. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, you're going to be with me in paradise. That's all he does. He can't do any good, good deeds. He can't sort of, you know, save the world himself afterwards and be a better person. He's about to die himself. He's been doing criminal things up to them, which is why he's dying. And Jesus says all that was needed was him to turn and to put his trust. Uh, and that's the call this morning to you and me, all of us, everyone here, everyone in, around us in this city of ours. We're called to come to Jesus, whoever we are this, this morning, whether we're in church every week or whether this is your first time in church this year. You are called to come back to God through Jesus, his son, who died for you and who rose for you to give you new life if you will trust in him. And if you've never done that, I'd love to just, again, a different book that I'll wave in a minute, um, just to say, you can respond to him personally. There's this little booklet, Knowing God Personally, and um, there's a little prayer at the back that will help you just to, to, to begin that conversation with God of saying, I turn to you, I trust in you. And if we are doing that, well, it is the most important thing in my life and in yours, if you know it. Let's rejoice in it this Easter morning. God has opened that door to him and, and nothing's going to shut it. No one's powerful enough to stop God from saving you. It's just it's a wonderful thing. And God's with you and me. He's with us by his Holy Spirit every day. We're going to be in paradise with him, just like that criminal was, is. But you are, as we, as we believe for Christine, as she died in the knowledge of Christ, in paradise forever. And can you see 
how natural it is to pass that on. It's public truth. It's wonderful news. And God clearly wants people to know, doesn't he? He sent the angels to tell the women. He sent the women to tell the disciples. At the end of the chapter, Jesus commissions the disciples to go and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all the nations. And you see, that's the link to you and me sitting here this morning, is someone told someone who told someone and, and then gave a Bible to someone and then, and then translated it into English for us. And then, and then all the way down the years, it's come to us. And wow, we know this too. And that's God's plan. It's for everyone. So who will you tell this Easter time? We've already said, who can we show kindness to this Easter? Who will we talk to as well and just say, do you know what, we've got wonderful news. Or at least who are we praying for as we go back to work this week on Tuesday? Or as we go to the gym? Or as we think about our walking group or our choir or um, that exercise class that we're part of or the family that we'll see over the next few days? we pray, Lord, would there be a chance just to share something of your wonderful love? Because Jesus rose from the dead, flesh and bones and all. Jesus saves by his death and resurrection all who trust in him. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.